faithful has touched. And so as we look at the back half of First John, I hope you'll, or First John 1, I hope you'll turn there with me. We're not looking at, here's the checkbox of what you have to do to be saved. We're looking at, here's what it looks like if you're really saved. It's a huge difference, right? One you've got to work for and earn. The other is the natural outflow of the life that's been born in you. And so just like my physical dad, uh, I look very much like him, and it's very easy to tell the relationship. Our spiritual dad has borne us into his family, and our resemblance should be very strong with him. And so look at 1 John 1, 5. That extra one throws me off. 1 John chapter 1, 5 through 10. This is the message that we have heard from him. And we proclaim to you, God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. And so as we're looking at the book of 1 John, that, I don't want you to lose sight of verses 1 through 4. Because verses 1 through 4 nailed down for us some really essential things that the rest of the book builds on. God kind of does it that way. He tells us the really important stuff at the introduction that will we'll, we'll form hooks to hinge the rest of the book on. And so in verses 1 through 4, uh, there's these false teachers and they're, they're claiming, hey, Jesus, uh, God and Jesus in the flesh are not the same thing. And so Jesus, the person, was not Jesus God also. And so God and man were separate, and they were not the same. And so they would deny that Jesus was God made flesh. And along those lines, they would also have this, they would minimize this view of sin, and uh, as we see in this passage. And so John is writing to combat that notion, but he's also writing in order to take the confusion and doubt that caused and bring it back into assurance that you can know, that you can know, that you can know. That you have his eternal life. And so he's writing for these purposes and he writes in verses 1 through 4, let me share my credentials with you. This Jesus I'm talking about and that the false teachers are talking about, this is the Jesus that I looked at for three years. Would you check with them to see if they did? This Jesus that I'm talking about is the Jesus I heard teach for three years every word that came out of his mouth. Would you check with them and see if they did too? And this Jesus that we're talking about is a Jesus I touched. We handled this eternal word of life. We knew him. We handled him. Would you check with them and see if they did too? Because that's our credentials. And so we have handled the word of life. We've touched. We've seen. We've heard the word of life. And now we proclaim what we know. We proclaim what we have seen. But why do they proclaim it? Verse 3. We proclaim it that you may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with God the Father and with his son Jesus. We are declaring the message so that you're saved, fellowship, that you have a relationship with God and with his son Jesus. So I've seen this and I proclaim this so that you know him, that you're in relationship with him. And that's guaranteed. That's what we call the gospel. And if you are in relationship with him, it will lead to a fullness of joy. Right. So that was verse four. 
And so what he is doing, he's locking down in verse 4, you're saved. He's locking down in verse 4, you have a relationship with God. He's locking down in verse 4, you know God the Father through God the Son in his gospel. And then he's going to flow the book out from there. And he's going to test the reality of that relationship from there. And so what I want to make sure that you understand, and why I went through this lengthy introduction of it, what I want to make sure you understand when you hear these five verses is that this is not works-based righteousness. This is not if you work hard enough and walk in the light well enough, you and God are going to be okay, but if you don't, then you're in trouble. Okay, so John is not testing to see if you're good enough to walk in the light, good enough to be saved. He's instead saying you are saved, and since that's true, there's a way to know that and test that by the way your life looks. And so it is not our goodness that gives us life with Jesus. It's life with Jesus that gives us our goodness. And that goodness, that walking in the light, that confession lifestyle, all flows from the finished work of Jesus on the cross. And so he's accepted, therefore those who are in him are accepted. He is righteous, therefore those who are in him is righteous. He is uh, totally loved by the Father, therefore anybody that is in him is totally loved by the Father. And it is because of what he did that we gain our acceptance and righteousness. And so do not, do not let this become, oh, I have got to walk in the light better. And if I walk in the light better, God will love me more. No, God loves me perfectly in Jesus. And since he loves me perfectly in Jesus, it changes who I am. And when it changes who I am, this is what that change looks like. All right. So if we claim a relationship with God, our lives must resemble his nature. If we claim a relationship with God, our lives must resemble his nature. Nature. John is going to build his assurance around three pillars throughout the book. Pillar one, do you have a growing, imperfect but growing righteousness in your life? Right? Is there more and more of his life in you? More and more of his life looks like you. Do you have a genuine love for other people? Especially people you wouldn't love if it weren't for the gospel. And then do you have the inner witness of the Holy Spirit that says you're adopted and you're his? So if you have growing righteousness, if you have genuine love, and if you have the inner witness of the Holy Spirit, you're going to live with assurance. And those are the pillars he's going to build on throughout the book. So if we claim relationship with God, our lives must resemble his nature. This passage is built around the conditions of fellowship, right? So there's the claim, we want you to have fellowship through the gospel with God and with the Father and with the Son. And so the claim is, I have fellowship. I've got that. And John says, well, here's how we're going to test And prove out and make sure what you're saying is true is really true. Alright? And so he's gonna, he's gonna do that for us. Then, so we're making the claim of eternal life, right? And then we're gonna test whether that's true. Because here's the thing that is undeniable. And it's a thing I think that maybe people that stand where I stand lie about sometimes. Well, no, no, I shouldn't. Lying's not nice. That's not nice to call people a liar. This is the thing we miss sometimes when we stand up here and talk to people like you guys. If you meet Jesus, it must change your life. If you meet Jesus in a saving way, it is impossible to stay the same. Think about it. He has transferred you from the domain of darkness, death, separation, no God godlessness. And he has put his Holy Spirit in you as a temple. And he's made you alive and he's brought you into the kingdom of his son of his love. How can that happen and nothing change in your life? Can you see the impossibility of that? Like, okay, I went from darkness to light, but nothing really changed. There's a problem. 
And John wants to confront us with that. Not in the sense of uh, creating guilt in those who are believers, but in the sense of make sure that what you say is the gospel that has saved you is really the gospel that has saved you. Don't, don't play with it and think that's okay. If you've met Jesus, it will change you. If you've met Jesus in the gospel, it has to change you. There's no other way. So let's look at it first. So don't live in darkness. Walk in light based on the atoning work of Jesus. So don't live in darkness, but walk in light based on the atoning work of Jesus. Here's something that I think Christians get a bad rap on, and we probably earn a good bit of it. We are far more known for what we're against than what we're for. Wouldn't you say that's true? And a lot of times we operate the same way, right? Here's what righteousness looks like. I don't run around. I don't lie. I hadn't killed anybody lately, and therefore I'm righteous, right? And so we kind of don't do this, don't say this, don't act this way, don't, don't, don't. And this, that's, the, that's righteousness. But that's not Jesus' righteousness, is it? Because the Christian life is, yes, it does include some things we shouldn't do. But that's not the definition of the Christian life. The definition of the Christian life is here's the positive life of righteousness that should be applied. Here's the positive life of righteousness in how you do your relationships with each other. Here's the positive life of righteousness in how you should treat other people. Here's the positive life of righteousness in the kind of words that come out of your mouth. Here's the positive life of righteousness in how you work and what your work ethic is like and how you treat your boss and how you treat your uh, employees. Here's what a positive life of righteousness looks like when it's your boss's office supplies that are ending up at your house. Here's what the positive life of righteousness looks like when you get an hour lunch break and you take an hour and 15. It's a positive life that's meant to be lived, not a negative life that's meant to be avoided. Does that make sense? Christianity is a positive life of righteousness. And if we will go about spreading the aroma of the gospel through a positive life of righteousness, then our gospel will be, have more effect on the people around us than just, no, don't do that and you shouldn't say that. And if you'll just clean yourself up a little bit, you can meet the Jesus I know. So it's meant to be a positive life of righteousness. What is winsome about our faith? And this is another thing I think we get wrong. What is winsome about our faith that people want? is not for us to agree with everything they say. They may want that on the surface. It's not being relevant and cool and, hey, if we can just, you know, wear the clothes you wear and entertain the way you entertain. And if we will just compromise so that we can just not talk about the bad stuff that we disagree on, but we'll just really focus on those few things we do. That is not what the world needs. That is not what God has used to change the world throughout all the generations since the gospel. What he has used is that there are people who believe a gospel they will declare and live a gospel that they say they believe. And so the world gets changed when we start living a positive, righteous gospel. The kind of gospel that loves people. The kind of gospel that serves people. The kind of gospel that whether they like it or not, breathes life across the breath of their life. And when you're around somebody like that, there's something about them that causes things around them to flourish. I've shared this a couple of times. We're reading Mark as a church, right? And so um, reading Mark, it opens up. Jesus' first words out of his mouth are, make sure everybody likes you and that you do all the, th- you know, don't talk about the stuff that, that offends, right? That was the first words, Mark chapter 1 somewhere. No. Jesus' first words out of his mouth were, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. All right, that is not win friends and influence people kind of language. That's not going to make a lot of people happy with you. Repent. 
There's a kingdom and a king. And life comes with this king. Repent. But, and then he sent his disciples out a few chapters later. And his disciples, you know what message he said for them? Okay, I'm going to talk about repentance. But you guys, get along with everybody. Don't share all that hard stuff. What did he say? Disciples, go out and tell people to repent. The message is the same. But then look at what happens in between those two messages. Jesus heals the sick. Jesus raises the dead. Jesus feeds the hungry and multiplies loaves and fishes. Fish, because fish is already plural, excuse me. And so Jesus does all of this good. Everywhere Jesus goes, people flourish around him. Do you notice that? And so what I think that says to us as a church is you don't change the message that says repent. Like it or not, repent. Sin is wrong and Jesus is right and he will save you. Repent. But everybody you touch and everybody that experiences you, they flourish. They are better because they know you. And so I think what we get wrong is either we're all repent, 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 and we're spitting and sweating and ugly, or we're all good works. Don't worry about it. We're just going to talk about good works and how wonderful it is. But Jesus puts both together, right? And that's what's winsome about our faith is we have a message that saves. And it's not the message you're okay. It's the message you need to repent. But it's accompanied by a life that everything Christians touch is better because they were there. And it flourishes and families flourish and homes flourish and our workplaces flourish and our bosses flourish because we were there. And when we put those side by side, the message of the gospel becomes very powerful. Uh, the Bible talks about it as an aroma. The aroma of the gospel fills the rooms we walk into. So all that to say, our lives of good works, and our declaration of the gospel go together. So don't separate them. Don't, don't, don't operate in one or the other. Both. All right, let's look at it. So this is the message we've heard and we proclaim to you. God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And so we are introduced in this passage to one of the two big framing statements about here's who God is. And since God is this way, this is what we should look like. And so this is the first statement, God is light. And so whoever is, belongs to God should look like light. And then later in the book, in chapter 3, we are going to get God is love. Two pillar truths about God that become the test of his people and the genuineness of their faith in him. He is light and he is love and his people must be those of light, who walk in light and love. And so we have this test, the test of his nature, the test of what God is like and so coming out of verses 1 through 4, we're going to give you fellowship with God. This message of this gospel is going to give you fellowship with God. The very first thing John does is test the claim. If we say we have fellowship, if we say verse 3 is true of us, here's how we're going to test it. Does that make sense to you? Okay, so if we say we have fellowship with God, oh, I'm sorry, we've got to go back. God is light. We've got to understand what that means, right? Before we test by it, we need to know what it means. All right, so God is light. Light's an imagery that's used throughout the Bible, and it has at least three uses when we run across it. Right? And so I'm going to go through what the three are and what I think John is talking about. All right, so when we run into the Bible and we see the imagery of light, it may mean light is in the sense of God reveals, God exposes. There was something that was hidden and is now exposed. Light does that. There was something we did not know, and light then makes it something we do know. All right? And so there's a sense in which light reveals. I don't think that's the sense of First John. 
right? And so that's not the way he's using it. The second sense of light is in the sense of moral righteousness. So when we say God is light, we may be saying God is morally righteous. He is perfection and he is beauty. And I think that's pretty close, right? Because we're talking about if we say we have no sin, that's not right. And we're talking about if we walk in the darkness, that's not right. He'll talk about keeping his commandments in 1 John. And so there's definitely that moral sense. But I think the third one is probably closer to what 1 John is talking about. And it goes back and it builds off the gospel of John. And that is that God, light means it is life. So God is life. Everything that comes from life, everything that pertains to life, that's God. So everything that pertains to life and the fullness of life, God's that. Truth pertains to the fullness of life. He's true. Flourishing of, of life and, and, and people around us, that's life. That goes with God. Humility for us, not him. Humility, that goes with life. That builds life. He's that. That aligns with him. Truth, righteousness, purity, all the things that go into eternal kind of living, God's that. And so the, the thing becomes is, if I'm aligned with God, I am aligned with life. And the things that come out of my life produce life. So God is the fullness, the absolute fullness of what true, real, meaningful, eternal kind of life is. That's God. And that becomes the test of us. That becomes the test of our own lives. That becomes the test of our own walk with God. And so God is life. He is the source of life. He is the fullness of life. His son is the revelation of eternal life. And so to have him and to live in him is going to be to live out the life he has into our own life. So let's look at it. Here we go. God is light. In him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him, and you'll notice in this passage he makes three claims. If we say, if we say, if we say, verse 6, verse 8, verse 10. If we claim something is true, let's back it up. If we claim something is true, we can test it. And so the claim is we have fellowship with God. I have a relationship with God that puts me into a oneness with him. A relationship with God that puts me into community, into fellowship with him. A shared life with him. Okay, that's my claim. Is that your claim? I hope it's your claim. I have met Jesus. I have met him in a way that saves me. And since he saved me, he has placed me into a relationship with himself, which we call salvation. Eternal life. Is it true or not? That's the big question next, right? Is it true? If we say it's true, but then we walk in darkness, we lie. If we say it's true and then we live in the realm of death. So think about this. There is life and there's flourishing and there's righteousness and there's truth. Side one. And then there's darkness. Death, decay, deterioration, tearing down, lying, deception, backbiting. There's this whole realm of death. Which realm do you live in? So if you live in the realm of death, but say that you're connected to the God of life, there's a problem, right? So I live in deception. I live in self-righteousness. I live in pride. I live in um, lying. I live in impurity. I live in unrighteousness. But man, me and God, we're great. I'm going to use the words of John because I'm not as mean as he is. If we say... If we say we're connected to the God of life, but we live in death, if we say that's true, here's what John says, which means here's what the Holy Spirit says, not what Chris says. We lie. And we do not practice the gospel. We don't practice the truth. Do you see the problem? 
Oh, me and God, we're great. Me and God, man, he's my homeboy. We're good. Once saved, always saved. By the way, let me pull out the big card. Don't judge. I'm set. Well, God, by the Holy Spirit, through the book of 1 John, says, here's what I'm going to do with your cards that you laid on the table. If you live like death, don't claim life because it's a lie. And what he tells us is that just because somebody claims salvation does not mean they have salvation. That might be news to some of us. Just because somebody says they believed and says they've prayed, it does not necessarily make it true that they are believers in the converted, saved sense. Do you see that in the text? We're claiming life. We're claiming salvation. We're living in death. It's simply not true. It's not true. And John's telling you that because he's nice enough to tell you that. Because it is so much better to have your world rocked and say, Jesus, I need to wrestle with you on a deeper level. And to have your world rocked and say, Jesus, I've got to know that I know. And to have your world rocked and say, I really know it now. Then for you to bob along thinking everything's fine and once saved, always saved and everything's great. And then you stand before the judgment seat of Christ without Christ. What could be more tragic than that moment? Why didn't you tell me? I did. And so the question is not, I want to try to convince you you're lost and I want you to feel bad. It's, I want you to wrestle with Jesus until you know, because when you know Jesus like you know Jesus and it's rock solid certain, it will change the way you live and the confidence you live in in your identity in the gospel. And so I hope it makes you a little uncomfortable. John's meant to make us uncomfortable. But it's meant to make us uncomfortable in a way that drives us deeper into Jesus and not away from Jesus. So if we walk in darkness, it's simply not true. We lie and we do not practice the truth, meaning we don't practice the gospel. The gospel, we don't obey the gospel. But here's the thing. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, it becomes true. We'll talk about that in a second. So if I live like life and I claim to know the God of life and the two match up, it's true. Now, let me go ahead and give you a preview of coming attractions. That does not mean I walk in light, therefore I'm sinless. I walk in light, therefore I'm perfect. Right? Because the very next verse is going to say, if you claim you have not sinned, that's lying too. And so don't think when I say I walk in the light, I'm saying I'm perfect, I've got it all together, let me pretend for all you people how good I'm doing, because I have to walk in the light. Walking in the light and, and sinlessness are not the same thing. Walking in the life includes humility and confession and repentance and and spreading life and doing good and serving. It involves all the flourishing that we can bring into the people's lives around us. So walk in the light. And if we do walk in the light, meaning what we say and what we do line up, we say we believe, we say we have life, we live life. When that lines up, look what's true of us. Not because we're good enough, not because we've worked our righteousness out. What's true of us because of the gospel We have fellowship. I proclaim a message of the gospel so you have fellowship. You're claiming to have fellowship. You're living like you have fellowship. Guess what? You have fellowship. You can know. You can know that you have eternal life. You can live with rock-solid eternal assurance that your salvation is real and it will never go away. By the way, because once saved, always saved is true. It's just not complete. Once you are truly saved, once you're truly converted, once you're truly born again, You are always, always, always saved and born again. You have fellowship with him. And then look at this. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all our sin. 
Here's the thing that's true about what's coming next. You must be sinless to enter the presence of God. You must be sinless to have fellowship with God. You must be sinless to have a relationship with God and an experience of a relationship with God. That's pretty terrifying, right? That's what it says. You have to be sinless. But the sinlessness that you have to have is not the sinlessness of your own good works or your own righteousness. The sinlessness you have to have is the sinlessness of the sinless Son of God who died on a cross for your sins, took all of your sin on himself, offers you his righteousness. Him who became no, he who had no sin became sin for you that you might have the righteousness of God in him. That's the one whose sinlessness you must have. And if you have the gospel and if you demonstrate the gospel by the way you live and it's certain that you have this salvation, here's what is true of your life. You are sinless. Whatever you did last night, you're sinless. Whatever the world says you are and how you fail and the shame you should feel, you're sinless. Whatever you have done in your past leading up to this moment, if you are in Christ, you're sinless. That's what it says about you. If you have fellowship with God, that means you're saved If you are saved, here's what is true of you. The blood of Jesus, not your own righteousness, not your religious good works, the blood of Jesus cleanses you from every single sin. And you are righteous today. And you are called a saint today. And you are holy today. And you are accepted today. And you are perfect in the eyes of God today. Not by what you are doing or have done, but because of what he has done. And that's what's true. And that's what tr- that is what is true no matter what your heart says. Because even if our heart condemns us, he's greater than our heart. That is true no matter what the people around you say. Because what he says, let him be true and every other person be a liar. The blood of Jesus has cleansed you from every single sin. And so we are in standing sinless. And then we are also empowered by the Holy Spirit to then begin to live a life It very imperfectly looks that way. We call this progressive sanctification, just in case you need to know the big words that attach to this. Progressive means it's a process, and guess when you're going to get there? When he comes back or you die. So it's a progress throughout all of life that you never get to quit, and sanctification means becomes more like Jesus. And so you're in a process of time to become more like Jesus, and that will be perfected, 1 John 3, when you see him. And then the process is over. And then eternity begins. And so don't live in the darkness. Walk in the light based on the atoning work of Jesus. He is 100% the ground of everything. He's done everything. And now does his life show up in your life is the question. He's taken you from death to life. Now do you look alive? Or do you still roam around? You know, that's how Paul warns us. Don't live like the Gentiles lived. And they're dead in their sins and trespasses and futile in their thinking. Don't live like that. Don't live like there's no God when you've been awakened to God. And so do you see in your own life, do you see this sense of life coming out? I think that's a better word than righteousness because it includes it. But do you see life coming out of your life? Or do you see corruption and decay and death coming out of your life? And that's what John's saying. If we say we have fellowship with him, but we live with corruption and we live with decay and we live like we're walking around among the dead. We are the walking dead. There you go, a little modern reference for you. If you're walking around like those people in that show, it's not true. But if you've become alive, 
and you're living in life. And life follows you wherever you go. And life touches what is around you. And life touches the people around you. And life touches the marriages around you. And life touches your workplace. It's true. And you're forgiven. Second thing, so don't claim sinlessness, but practice a lifestyle of repentance and faith. <coughs> walk in, don't walk in darkness, walk in light. And don't claim sinlessness, but practice a lifestyle of repentance and faith. I'm going to bust a few bubbles here really quickly, but I'm also going to set a few of you free, I hope, by this statement. You have not made it. You've just not made it. You have not arrived. And so one of the temptations for us is to say, I have been in church 10 years. I have been in church five years. I've been in church 20 years. I've been a Christian for six months. Therefore, I'm doing pretty good. I've made it. All you people coming behind me, when you catch up, I may start running again. You've not made it. You've not arrived. I've been in church 35 years. You still haven't made it. You still have not arrived. And that's good news because you know you, right? That's good news because you look in the mirror and you're like, oh my goodness, how did I just do that again? How did I just give in to anger again? How did I just give in to lust again? How did I just give in to pride and self-righteousness again? How do I look at myself as so great knowing what I see in the mirror isn't that great? You've not arrived. You've not made it. You're not there yet. And the freeing thing is this, you never will be this side of heaven. You never will be. For every moment of the rest of your life, there will be plenty of room for you to grow and to change. Which means there's plenty of room for your humility. But also there is no room for your shame. And that's what I hope will set you free today. I hope you will realize that you not making it because you are not perfect will lead you back to the Jesus who has made it and is perfect on your behalf. And so that you will not live with a sense of arrival, oh, look at me, I'm good as long as I'm plastic. But I hope you will also not live over here and think, I am so ashamed, I am so guilty, and you will carry guilt and shame with you the rest of your life. I want you to be free of both of those. Because if you claim to be sinless, it's a lie. But if you know you're a sinner, there is a remedy for your sin. If you know you're a sinner, the verse tells us, right? Run to Jesus and confession. And guess what he'll do? He'll make you righteous. He will wash you from all your unrighteousness. And so be set free from shame and guilt and be crushed in your sense of self-righteous arrival. And that's the gospel. So which part of the gospel do you need to hear today? Quit acting like you got it together and go walk out in righteousness again. Keep fighting the fight of faith. Or do you need to hear shame is off of you? Because Christ put it on himself and put his righteousness in your place. From the very beginning, that's been the problem, right? Or since we fell. Our sin exposes us. We are naked and ashamed. And then we hear the holiness of God coming with the presence that used to be refreshing, but now is terrifying. And we run and we hide and we cover ourselves with the fig leaves of our own self-righteousness. And we hide from the presence of the one who used to be our joy. And then Jesus comes into the gospel. And he says, you don't have to hide anymore. I will clothe you. And you would be naked and ashamed in yourself, but you are covered and holy in me. 
the gospel. That's what's true. That's what's true of us. Let's look at it in the text. If we say the claim is made twice, if we say we have no sin, we're fine, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. So yeah, we, me and God, we're good. We got a relationship. Everything's fine. By the way, I've kind of made it. All right, let's use John's word again. Oops, got knocked off my page. I don't want to be mean, so we're going to let John be mean on during this whole series. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. We lie. And not only that, look at verse 10. If we say we have no sin, we make him a liar. Man, John's so mean. It's okay, guys. You're doing great. I'm going to just make you feel better real quick for a second. If we say we have no sin, it's not true. But look what is true. Look what is true. For those who are believers, what's the difference? Verse 9. We don't have to claim sinlessness anymore, do we? We can confess. If we confess. The word confess means to say the same thing. And so it is to take what God says about my sin and my life and to say, yes, you are absolutely right, God. You didn't mess up on that a bit. And there's probably some other things. It's to say the same things. And so if we confess that our sin is as bad as God says it is, if we confess that what we're living and saying and thinking and rationalizing and doing and not doing and all the things that are called sin, if we say that's true, we confess, look what God does. By his nature, he is faithful. That is, he is true to his promises. And he is just. He maintains his own righteousness while pardoning guilty people. He is faithful, true to his word. And when you don't believe in his forgiveness... Oh, I confessed it, but man, I just feel so guilty about it still, and I'm going to wallow, and I'm going to hold on to it still. What are you saying? You're saying, God, you're just not faithful to your promise to forgive. That's what our unforgiveness of ourselves when God has forgiven us to us. He's faithful and he's just to cleanse us, or to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us to remove the defilement, to remove the shame of our sin and all unrighteousness. So did you notice that? The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. We're sinless. When we confess, we maintain that sinless status. All unrighteousness is cleansed out of our life. And so let me warn you, both by your life or by your words, don't claim sinlessness. Now, why they did, I don't know what about these false teachers did this. Maybe it gives them like some superiority complex or something. We're sinless. We're good. Follow us. Some very low view of sin. But your freedom from guilt and shame is not from being sinless or claiming sinless. Your freedom is from an entire lifestyle of confession and forgiveness. Did you know the gospel allows you to go sit down in front of your wife and say, Honey, when I got angry at you, that was sin. And that sin harmed our relationship and that sin harmed my relationship to God. And I want to ask you to forgive me. That's what the gospel allows you to do. You know what the gospel allows you to do? It allows you to go sit down in front of your kids and look them in the eye and say, When I yelled at you, when I disciplined you in anger, I sinned against you. And I want to ask you to forgive me because it it offended you, but it offended God. You know what it also allows you to do? You and your friend, you're fighting and bickering. And so, man, you got to split churches, split houses, split classes and walk on separate sides of the campus. No, you know what the gospel frees you to do? It frees you to sit down face to face with your friend and say, when I gossiped about you behind your back, or stole your boyfriend, or whatever you did to him. I'm sure that wasn't y'all. 
When you did that, it frees you to sit down and say, I sinned against you. I dishonored you and I dishonored God. And I want to ask you to forgive me. That's what the gospel allows us to do. It doesn't just allow us to do it. It propels us into a life of repentance and confession and faith. Confession of what we have done and belief in what Jesus has done. Confession of our failure and belief in his success. Confession of our sin and belief in his righteousness. If we live a life of confession and forgiveness, we don't just make true our fellowship with God, we increase our experience of fellowship with God. Walking in the light does not mean sinless. Walking in the light means humble confession and repentance while on the road to growing righteousness. We claim to have a relationship with God. It should show up in how we live. It should show up in his nature and our nature beginning to look more and more alike. He is light. He is life. Therefore, born of him, life flows out of us. Let's look at a few practical things as we close. First, beware of a low view of sin. It's so tempting to say, well, here's the Baptist brand of sin, and since I have not done that and I do show up at church and I throw a few bucks in from time to time, I'm good, right? And I'm sure if we were sitting in a Presbyterian church or a Pentecostal church or some other church, there would be this list, not written down, but there'd be this kind of list. And I have arrived and I'm doing good because I've got my list intact. That's such a low view of sin. The heart is deceitful above all things and it's desperately wicked. Who can know it? It's not what goes into a man's mouth that makes him defiled. It's what comes out of his heart, whether it's lust and greeds and adulteries and evil speaking and all these things. It's what comes out. That's, and that heart is so bad. So beware when we think of sin as this little defined list of external things that we don't do but other bad people do because it cuts us off from grace. Second, examine your life for signs of life. The point of 1 John is for you to confirm and know beyond a shadow of a doubt you have eternal life. And that won't happen if you explain the hard stuff away. That won't happen if you kind of sidestep, oh, I've got to walk in the light. Jesus, everything's fine. It will only happen when you wrestle to get to Jesus on a deeper level through the questions that the text raises. And so I would just encourage you, examine your life for signs of life. Truth and purity and humility and confession and repentance are all those flourishing. Do people walk away better from knowing you? Do people's situations change or at least their encouragement in the middle of hard situations change because they know you? Examine your life for signs of life. The third one, practice regular confession and repentance. When was the last time you had a real specific time of confession and repentance? When was the last time God broke your heart over a very specific sin? When was the last time you confessed a very specific sin to God? And turned back to him in faith to receive forgiveness. It's a lifestyle we lead. Uh, Jerry Bridges, the late great guy who wrote a lot about holiness and grace, said it this way. Even our repentance needs to be washed in the blood of the Lamb. Even our repentance isn't good enough for God. We need Jesus even in our repentance. And then the last one, don't forget to be amazed by grace. So easy to look at our sin over and over and live with it and hate it and wallow in it and feel guilty about it. But I would just encourage you, every look you take at sin, take a thousand more looks at Jesus. 
Every time you look at guilt, look at Jesus, the one who took it. And make sure you look at him much more than you look at sin. Right? And so confession and repentance leads to this amazement of grace. We do have a a new deeper with one application. I would encourage you to read that on the back. It's time to now start asking and inviting people into these relationships. And so make sure you spend some time praying about that, maybe even during our invitation time, about that part on the back. All right, we are going to pray, and then we'll have a time of invitation. So, Father, I pray, I pray that your gospel would become more beautiful and more clear. And if there are people who don't have it and think they do, 